Hello, and welcome to another episode of Fireside Poems. I'm Dr. J. Today's poem is Longfellow's The Birds of Killingworth. The Birds of Killingworth is one of the tales of a wayside inn and is thus considerably longer than the other poems I've done. Because of this, I'll be reading it only once. The Birds of Killingworth is an ecological fable that I've chosen for Earth Day, which we are observing this week. It tells the story of a Connecticut town that decides to get rid of the birds that each year consume a portion of the local farmer's crops, which means getting rid of all the birds. The poem can be divided into three parts. First, a description of the arrival of the birds in Killingworth and the decision by the town to do away with them. Second, a town meeting to determine the bounty to be put on the birds, and third, the aftermath of the bird slaughter. The poem then ends on an unexpectedly uplifting note appropriate for our observance of Earth Day. In addition to the local farmers, the birds of Killingworth presents five characters, the squire, the town's chief landholder, the deacon, the town's good citizen, the parson, the town's minister, the preceptor, the town's young teacher, and the fair Elmira, one of the preceptor's graduating students. The squire, the deacon, and the parson represent the town's establishment and come in for some gentle ribbing, or not so gentle in the case of the Calvinist pastor, by Longfellow. All three attend the town meeting where the fate of the birds is to be decided as does the preceptor. After everyone else has spoken, the preceptor rises to speak. He makes four kinds of arguments, by turns poetic, religious, practical, and finally moral, on behalf of the birds. His words are presented in their entirety and are quite forceful, though ignored by the rest of those present. Elmira isn't present, as women weren't invited to meetings where decisions are made, but she and the rest of Killingworth's womenfolk read the preceptor's words in the next day's newspaper. Their reaction is quite different than the reaction of the town's men. The result of the massacre of the birds show that the women and the teacher are wiser than the men. But mistakes can be admitted, and mistakes can be corrected. Let's listen. The Birds of Killingworth by Henry Wadsworth Longfellow It was the season when through all the land the Merle and Mavis build, and building sing those lovely lyrics, written by his hand whom Saxon Cademan called the Blytheheart King. When on the boughs the purple buds expand, the banners of the vanguard of the spring, and rivulets rejoicing rush and leap, and waved their fluttering signals from the steep. The robin and the bluebird, piping loud, filled all the blossoming orchard with their glee. The sparrows chirped as if they still were proud their race in holy writ should mentioned be. And hungry crows, assembled in a crowd, clamored their piteous prayers incessantly, knowing who hears the ravens cry, and said, Give us, O Lord, this day our daily bread. Across the sound, 
The birds of passage sailed, speaking some unknown language strange and sweet, of tropic isle remote, and passing hailed the village with the cheers of all their fleet. Or, quarreling together, laughed and railed like foreign sailors, landed in the street of seaport town, and with outlandish noise of oaths and gibberish frightening girls and boys. Thus came the jocund spring in Killingworth, in fabulous days some hundred years ago. And thrifty farmers, as they tilled the earth, heard with alarm the cawing of the crow that mingled with the universal mirth, Cassandra-like, prognosticating woe. They shook their heads and doomed with dreadful words to swift destruction the whole race of birds. And the town meeting was convened straightway to set a price upon the guilty heads of those marauders, who in lieu of pay levied blackmail upon the garden beds and cornfields, and beheld without dismay the awful scarecrow with his fluttering shreds, the skeleton that waited at their feast, whereby their sinful pleasure was increased. Then from his house a temple painted white, with fluted columns and the roof of red, the squire came forth, august and splendid sight. Slowly descending with majestic tread, three flights of steps, not looking left nor right, down the long street he walked as one who said, A town that boasts inhabitants like me can have no lack of good society. The parson, too, appeared a man austere, the instinct of whose nature was to kill. The wrath of God he preached from year to year and read with fervor Edwards on the will. His favorite pastime was to slay the deer in summer on some Adirondack hill. E'en now, while walking down the rural lane, he lopped the wayside lilies with his cane. From the academy, whose belfry crowned the hill of science with its vein of brass, came the preceptor, gazing idly round, now at the clouds and now at the green grass, and all absorbed in reveries profound of fair Elmira in the upper class, who was, as in a sonnet he had said, as pure as water and as good as bread. And next the deacon issued from his door, in his voluminous neckcloth, white as snow. A suit of sable bombazine he wore. His form was ponderous, and his step was slow. There never was a man so wise before. He seemed to incarnate, Well, I told you so. And to perpetuate his great renown, there was a street named after him in town. These came together in the new town hall, with sundry farmers from the region round. The squire presided, dignified and tall, his air impressive and his reasoning sound. Ill fared it with the birds, both great and small. Hardly a friend in all that crowd they found, but enemies enough, who every one charged them with all the crimes under the sun. When they had ended, from his place apart, rose the preceptor to redress the wrong, and, trembling like a steed before the start, looked round bewildered on the expectant throng. 
Then thought of fair Almira, and took heart to speak out what was in him, clear and strong, alike regardless of their smile or frown, and quite determined not to be laughed down. The preceptor speaks. Plato, anticipating the reviewers, from his republic banished without pity the poets. In this little town of yours you put to death by means of a committee, the ballad singers and the troubadours, the street musicians of the heavenly city, the birds who make sweet music for us all in our dark hours, as David did for Saul, the thrush that carols at the dawn of day from the green steeples of the piney wood, the oriole in the elm, the noisy jay jargoning like a foreigner at his food, the bluebird balancing on some topmost spray flooding with melody the neighborhood, linnet and meadowlark and all the throng that dwell in nests and have the gift of song. You slay them all, and wherefore? For the gain of a scant handful more or less of wheat or rye or barley or some other grain, scratched up at random by industrious feet, searching for worm or weevil after rain? Or a few cherries that are not so sweet as are the songs the uninvited guests sing at their feast with comfortable breasts? Do you never think what beings these? Do you ne'er think who made them, and who taught the dialect they speak, where melodies alone are the interpreters of thought? Whose household words are songs in many keys, sweeter than instrument a man e'er caught? Whose habitations in the treetops even are halfway houses on the road to heaven? Think, every morning when the sun peeps through the dim leaf-latticed windows of the grove, how jubilant the happy birds renew their old melodious madrigals of love. And when you think of this, remember too, tis always morning somewhere, and above the wakening continents from shore to shore, somewhere the birds are singing evermore. Think of your woods and orchards without birds, of empty nests that cling to boughs and beams, as in an idiot's brain remembered words hang empty mid the cobwebs of his dreams. Will bleat of flocks or bellowing of herds make up for the lost music when your teams drag home the stingy harvest and no more the feathered gleaners follow to your door? What, would you rather see the incessant stir of insects in the windrows of the hay and hear the locust and the grasshopper their melancholy hurdy-gurdies play? Is this more pleasant to you than the whir of meadowlark and her sweet roundelay, or twitter of little field fares as you take your nooning in the shade of bush and brake? You call them thieves and pillagers, but no, they are the winged warders of your farms, who from the cornfield drive the insidious foe, and from your harvest keep a hundred harms. Even the blackest of them all, the crow, renders good service as your man-at-arms, crushing the beetle in his coat of mail, and crying havoc on the slug and snail. How can I teach your children gentleness and mercy to the weak and reverence for life, which, in its weakness or excess, is still a gleam of God's omnipotence, when by your laws, your actions, and your speech, 
you contradict the very things I teach. With this he closed, and through the audience went a murmur like the rustle of dead leaves. The farmers laughed and nodded, and some bent their yellow heads together like their sheaves. Men have no faith in fine-spun sentiment who put their trust in bullocks and in beeves. The birds were doomed, and as the record shows, a bounty offered for the heads of crows. There was another audience, out of reach, who had no voice nor vote in making laws, but in the papers read his little speech and crowned his modest temples with applause. They made him conscious, each one more than each. He still was a victor, vanquished in their cause. Sweetest of all the applause he won from thee, O fair Elmira at the Academy. And so the dreadful massacre began. O'er fields and orchards, and o'er woodland crests, the ceaseless fusillade of terror ran. Dead fell the birds with bloodstains on their breasts, or wounded crept away from sight of man, while the young died of famine in their nests. A slaughter to be told in groans, not words, the very St. Bartholomew of birds. The summer came, and all the birds were dead. The days were like hot coals, the very ground was burned to ashes, and the orchards fed myriads of caterpillars, and around the cultivated fields and garden beds hosts of devouring insects crawled and found no foe to check their march till they had made the land a desert without leaf or shade. Devoured by worms like Herod was the town, because like Herod it had ruthlessly slaughtered the innocents. From the trees spun down the canker worms upon the passers-by, upon each woman's bonnet, shawl, and gown, who shook them off with just a little cry. They were the terror of each favorite walk, the endless theme of all the village talk. The farmers grew impatient, but a few confessed their error and would not complain, for after all, the best thing one can do when it is raining is to let it rain. Then they repealed the law, although they knew it would not call the dead to life again, as schoolboys finding their mistake too late draw a wet sponge across the accusing slate. That year in Killingworth the autumn came without the light of his majestic look, the wonder of the falling tongues of flame, the illumined pages of his doomsday book. A few lost leaves blushed crimson with their shame and drowned themselves despairing in the brook while the wild wind went moaning everywhere, lamenting the dead children of the air. But the next summer a stranger sight was seen, a sight that never yet by bard was sung, as great a wonder as it would have been if some dumb animal had found a tongue. A wagon, overarched with evergreen, upon whose boughs were wicker cages hung, all full of singing birds, came down the street, filling the air with music wild and sweet. From all the country round these birds were brought, by order of the town, with anxious quest, and, loosened from their wicker prisons, sought in woods and fields the places they loved best. 
singing loud canticles which many thought were satires to the authorities addressed, while others, listening in green lanes, averred such lovely music never had been heard. But blither still and louder caroled they upon the morrow, for they seemed to know it was fair Elmira's wedding day, and everywhere, around, above, below, when the preceptor bore his bride away, their songs burst forth in joyous overflow, and a new heaven bent over a new earth amid the sunny farms of Killingworth. The modern environmental movement began with the publication of Rachel Carson's Silent Spring in 1962, exactly 100 years after Longfellow wrote The Birds of Killingworth, and Carson's title is an exact echo of Longfellow's poem, though I don't know that she was aware of The Birds of Killingworth. Longfellow's name doesn't appear in the copious list of scientific sources she appended to Silent Spring. Carson opens Silent Spring, though, with a brief fable of her own, of an American town where the spring is silent as a consequence of human effort to eliminate the predators of our crops, not the birds themselves, but the insects they feed on. Beginning after the Second World War and continuing through the 1950s and into the 1960s, we attacked them with the pesticide DDT, which, among other harmful outcomes, including human morbidity, caused the eggshells of many bird species to thin to the point where they would break under their mother's weight, driving American bald eagles, to take just one example, toward extinction. The problems were presented to the public by Silent Spring. Thus began our modern consciousness of unintended environmental consequences. The restoration of the bald eagle population throughout America is just one example of what we can do once we set our minds to doing what's necessary, whatever the short-term cost. The restoration of the birds to Killingworth by bringing them in wicker baskets from neighboring towns is poetically rather than scientifically imagined, but contains a truth nevertheless, that our actions must be positive as well as negative. We have to stop harming the earth, but we also must act to restore it. And the charming love story which ends with the marriage of Elmira and the preceptor reminds us that not just the flourishing of nature alone, but our total flourishing as human beings is at stake. I hope you enjoyed The Birds of Killingworth, and that you'll join me again next week for another episode of Fireside Poems. If you think others might enjoy Fireside Poems, please let them know about it through your social media so that they might join you and me each week by the fireside.